Well, praise God, and thank you, church. I've been thinking of saying something for a few months, but thank you, church, for your faithfulness. Thank you for lifting your voices in song. J.R., you're right. It's not about this. It's not about that. But I just want to highlight the singing of this congregation this morning. The resonance and just the blessing of hearing the voices unite. Those of you who join us via live stream, I praise God, too, that you're able to do that. But I want to let you know you're missing out. To hear the voices unite is such a blessing. And thank you, each one, who reach into your hearts and sing from your hearts and let those songs fly. Oh, what a blessing. Thank you. As we continue through Hebrews, we are in chapter 7. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 7. We'll be looking at the first 10 verses this morning. And to give you a little insight into my world, if I mispronounce Melchizedek at any time this morning, it's because this little thing has no idea how to say it. <laughs> Melchizedek is what it says, but <laughs> yeah, it's, anyway, that's my, part of my world. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings. And blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God. He continues, a priest forever. See how great this man was. To, who, to whom the patriarch, patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi, who received the priestly office, have a command within the law to take tithes from the people. That is, from their brothers Though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men. But in the other case, by one of who? It is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself receives tithes, who receives tithes, pays tithes to Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. The author of Hebrews first introduced Melchizedek in chapter 5. But before he could explain the significance of this ancient priest slash king, he gave a warning to the Jews who refused to accept Christ as their Savior. They were making that choice. And following that, 
Josh taught us last week about the promise, at the end of which Jesus again is said to be a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And this week, we return to that subject. Now that the author has dealt with the sluggards, we get back to the meat. Specifically, the office of the priest. This morning, we're going to wade around in the weeds a bit. We're going to get pretty deep in what the author of Hebrews is trying to teach us here this morning. Hebrews is a very, for lack of a better word, a very technical book. He, very detailed, very specific, very precise in connecting the analogies, the types with the truths. This morning, our points, we're going to look at how this comes from Abraham to Melchizedek to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, Lord. We thank you for this text. We thank you for this truth. We thank you for your provision. We thank you for your love for us, God. May your spirit guide us as we seek to understand the ministry of Melchizedek, the ministry that you connected, how you connected the Levitical priest to Jesus, to us today, Father. May your spirit guide us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. While our central character is Melchizedek, as I said, Josh told us last week about Abraham and the beautiful promise. But in verse 6, it describes Abraham as the one who had the promises. We also need to recognize that the reference to Abraham here was much broader than Abraham. Verse 4, it says, Abraham, the patriarch, patriarch, the father, the father of what? The nation of Israel. And as part of that nation, we have the tribe of Levi. Then we go, we're skipping around a little bit. We'll go down to verse 9. And the author says, one might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. So this doesn't only refer to Abraham himself. It refers to all of his descendants. That's who this is relating to. And then in that light, we need to understand some things about the reference to Levi, the tribe of Levi. First, the entire tribe of Levi was dedicated by God for the priesthood. It was hereditary. The priesthood was passed down genetically. A man who served as priest simply had to be born into the right family. Although all priests were Levites, not all Levites were priests. Priests not only had to be descended from Levi, but also from Aaron, the brother of Moses. This meant that the priesthood was limited to the nation of Israel, specifically to the men of the segment of one tribe. 
within the nation of Israel. Second, the Levites were subject to the king. Their priestly functions were not under the control of the king. We know that didn't go well when kings tried to assume them. And the king was not supposed to interfere with or assume any of the priestly duties. But in everything else, the priests were ordinary subjects of the king, if you will. A Levite, in fact, could not be king. The king of the nation of Israel could not come from the tribe of Levi. Third, the priestly sacrifices, including the one by the high priest on the Day of Atonement, has to be continually repeated. They provided no permanent forgiveness, no permanent righteousness, no permanent peace. Fourth, just as the effects of the sacrifices were temporary, so was the career of the priest. They served from the age of 25 to the age of 50. On a side note, I just turned 50 this year. Their ministry was for 25 years and then they were done. That was by the edict of God. So this is what Abraham represents in this text. He was the father of Levi, the father of Aaron, the father of all of the Levitical priests. This is a very important tieback to the priesthood and what it meant. It is this Abraham that the author is speaking of in verse 1, who Melchizedek met on his return from the slaughter of the kings. Four kings in Abraham's region had united and conquered Sodom and other neighboring cities. Abraham's nephew Lot and his family lived in the city of Sodom. When Abraham heard that Lot and his family had been captured, Abraham gathered 318 men for battle. And with a surprise attack, he and his tiny army freed Lot and the others who had been captured. Abraham and his army of 318 men faced the armies of four kings and freed these people. After defeating the four kings, Abraham became the most powerful man in the land. And Melchizedek met him on the road, returning from this battle, and blessed him. Genesis chapter 14, starting in verse 18, we have the account. It says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be him who by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. This Melchizedek seems to have been an extraordinary man who served his people faithfully in both the offices of king and priest. The reference to Most High God means that Melchizedek worshipped the one true 
God. Abraham knew that he and this man worshipped the same God. Just by meeting him on the road, he knew. Names were a big deal in Bible times. Verse 2, we see the name broken down of Melchizedek. He says, he is first. By translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem. That is, king of peace. In Melchizedek's name and position, righteousness and peace came together, just like in Jesus our Savior. Through the years, many have believed that this Melchizedek was Christ himself, appearing in human form to Abraham. But verse 3 says that he resembled the Son of God. I believe that the best interpretation, the best view of who this Melchizedek was is that he was a non-Jewish priest slash king who lived in ancient times and was a symbol and a type of Christ, a foretelling, a, a pre-shadow of Christ. The Bible does not contain a genealogy for him or a record of his death. I believe that this lack of record is what the author is referring to when he says he has neither. The scripture is usually very meticulous about such details, and it's very helpful to connect the dots to prove the timeline, to be able to look back and see just how beautifully true and knitted together scripture is. I think that he really did have parents and was born and eventually died. But that had nothing to do with his priesthood. Aaron's priesthood depended, and his descendants depended completely on genealogy, as we mentioned. None of the requirements of the Levitical priesthood applied to Melchizedek, except that he was appointed by God. Verse 4, as great as Abraham was, our text says that Abraham recognized how great Melchizedek was by giving him a tenth of the spoils. Verses 6 and 7 made clear the significance of this act. It says, but this man who does not have his descent from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. Melchizedek was superior to Abraham. The NIV says greater than Abraham. Verse 5, it says, Now the law requires that the descendants of Levi, who become priests, to collect a tenth from the people, that is, their brothers. Even though their brothers are descended from Abraham, in the Old Testament, as God began teaching the Israelites his laws, as laying the foundation, having it recorded, 
He was also teaching his people how to worship him. To help in this, he needed men to oversee the operations of the tabernacle and the temple and to help people maintain their relationship with God. The descendants of Levi were set apart, dedicated to serving God. Their jobs meant that they did not have the time required to maintain land. So when the tribes were given land in the book of Joshua, the Levites were not given any land. Instead, God arranged for the other tribes to meet the Levites' needs through tithes. And for that reason, the law of Moses commanded the Levites to collect a tithe from the people. This was for their support. This means that if Abraham recognized Melchizedek as his superior, then Melchizedek is also superior to all of Abraham's descendants. That's what this text is telling us. That's what it's laying out. And that included the line of priests. This makes Melchizedek's priesthood greater than the Jewish priesthood. Melchizedek was not related to Levi, and neither was Jesus, who was born into the tribe of Judah, not the tribe of Levi. The priests and Levites owed their position to their birth. They owed their receiving of tithes to provisions in God's law. Melchizedek, however, was given the tithe, not because the law said so, but because Abraham recognized his greatness. Along with receiving the tithe, Melchizedek also acknowledged his superior position as he blessed Abraham. A blessing was no small matter. It was passed along from fathers to sons, as well as from prominent to less prominent people. So we followed here this morning, we follow this logic from Abraham to Melchizedek. Now, let's connect it to Jesus. Melchizedek is a type of Jesus, a shadow of who Jesus was to be, with no record of beginning or end, so that no biological descendants could claim superiority because they were related to him. Some today are, but they can't claim it because there's no documented connection. That was all part of God's arrangement. Psalms 110 verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews doesn't say that Jesus resembled Melchizedek, but that Melchizedek resembled Jesus. Melchizedek was a real man, a servant of God, whose history is recorded as we have read in the book of Genesis in a way that makes him resemble the one who would come and fulfill completely the offices of priest and king and who would truly be a priest forever. Looking at this, the first thing we want to look at, Melchizedek is, is compared to Levitical priests. 
who would receive the tithes. But eventually, they would die. Because Scripture doesn't record Melchizedek's death, it is as if he lives on. That's the picture that is painted. And his priesthood extends forever. In reality, we know that he does not live today. This text speaks of him in the past tense. And we know that Melchizedek has not been on the news lately. So we know that he does not live physically today. But unlike the Levites who died and passed on the responsibilities to their sons, this is where Melchizedek resembled Christ, who died on the cross and rose again to live and serve as the great high priest forever. Second, Melchizedek is compared to Levitical priests who paid a tithe to him through their ancestor, Abraham. Remember, when Abraham gave Melchizedek one-tenth of his spoils, they were in his loins. That's what the scripture tells us. The unborn Levites also participated in the gifts. They recognized Melchizedek's superiority. That's what this text is telling us. In this way, Melchizedek would also be greater than the Levitical priests. Abraham was a great man. And his descendants served as acceptable priests. But Melchizedek was greater. And Jesus is the greatest. Like I said, this was a lot. What I've just unpacked here is a lot of details, a lot of jumping around, a lot of how could Abraham's descendants be there and be responsible for giving gifts to Melchizedek. That's what the text says. And it's all for the purpose of, again, stating and illustrating the superiority of the priesthood of Jesus Christ. You're not going to remember most of the details I just laid out. You're just not. Neither am I. Unless I go back and review them sometime. But processing them helped clarify several things in my mind, and I hope also in yours. The Levitical priesthood was necessary, but inferior. They, in reality, served to prove their own inadequacy. They kept repeatedly bringing offerings for sin, repeatedly doing their jobs to prove their inadequacy, our inadequacy to take away our own sins. Melchizedek was a great man, but he too was just a man who lived to serve one primary purpose, to connect the inferior, temporary, but important role of the Levitical priest to the eternal, essential, great high priesthood of Jesus. The Levitical priesthood existed to show us our need for a Savior. Melchizedek existed to connect their service to our Savior before they were ever born. Jesus lived, died, and was resurrected to be that Savior. Could you have been a Levite? No, because you weren't born into it. 
But could have you served? Knowing that you were serving to prove your own inadequacy. You know, as the author wrote this book to the Hebrews, there were some Levites, and we know there's some Levites throughout history in some of the Old Testament accounts. They were stinkers. They weren't honest men. They weren't upright men. They were serving because they were born into it. And all along, they were serving to prove their own inadequacy, that there was only one priest adequate to be sacrificed, to be the sacrifice for our sins. They did this not for a year or two. They did this for generations. They served in these roles. Could you have been Abraham? Having just won a great battle. And then surrendering two acts of great humility. Giving a tithe to And receiving a blessing from a man that you met on the road? Could you have been Jesus? Stepping out of perfection to be a savior for sinful man. Only God could do that. That's the point of all of this. There was only one man who could save us, so no, we couldn't be Jesus. But because of Jesus... We could serve as servants like the Levites. Because of Jesus, we could serve in humility like Abraham. We can't do that by our own strength. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Paul wrote these words. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Praise God he has a plan. Praise God that he is sovereignly in control of that plan. It's all about you, Jesus. We sang those words this morning. Like Abraham and Melchizedek, don't think too highly of your responsibility in that plan. Don't fight against the limitations of your circumstances. Like where or to who you were born. Or the level of influence or control that you have. Embrace your reality. Just like the Levitical priests. Just like those who weren't in the priesthood in that day. Just like Melchizedek. Just like Abraham. Walk in the path that God has laid out in humility and understand that whatever God has called you to, it's all part of his bigger plan. It's all pointing to the same Jesus that Melchizedek pointed to. We serve a great God. Do not allow the enemy to distract you from that fact with the temporary realities of this life. Do not allow the enemy to cheapen who you are. You are priceless in the eyes of God. You are a child of the one true God. Just like those Levitical priests, just like Melchizedek, just like Abraham, Christ has a purpose for you in his plan, and he longs to 
see that plan woven and walked out in his children. I hope you understand this morning the beauty of this. I hope you understand this morning how great our God is in including us in his plan and how great the greatest part of that plan is that his plan saves us. His plan saves us from our sinfulness, saves us from our wretchedness. And who are we to ask the God who wove that all together, made that all happen? Why is one higher than the other? Why do I have to submit to so-and-so? Why do I have the responsibility that I have? God has a plan. And as beautiful as as it is for this connection we see this morning from the Levites to Jesus, God's plan that he has for your life is equally as beautiful. I encourage you to walk in that reality this morning. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, Lord. We thank you for your provision. We thank you, Lord, that you show us faithfully our need for a Savior. We thank you, Lord, that through many ways, and in this way this morning through Melchizedek, you demonstrate that beautiful plan. And we praise you, Lord, that that plan culminates in the life, death, and resurrection of your Son, Jesus. And that in his righteousness, we have perfect peace available to us. Lord, may we walk in that reality today and every day, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.